Reach, Young Adult Ministry Sermons Online from Tuesday, November 3rd, 2020 by Philip Jackson, pastor to young adults at Evergreen Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, from the series Fear Factor, entitled If God is Enough, from Jeremiah 29, 4-14. If you have your Bibles, turn them over to Jeremiah chapter 29. So I want to give you guys a little bit of context, because uh, context is really important when it comes to Scripture. Um, Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet, and this guy had a hard life. Can you imagine having one singular purpose, having a message that you couldn't help but speak, and for the entire, your entire life, no one ever listened to you? Never. True dad. Oh, I wouldn't know because I'm, I'm a dad. So, I mean, the dad factor is a real thing. You know, dad walks in and all of a sudden the children change. It's really weird. At least I hear that's what happens. I don't know that, yeah. know that for true. Is it true? Yeah. Okay. Well, um, so Jeremiah lives his whole life and no one ever listens to what he has to say. And uh, he continually tells the people of Israel, listen, you're on, you're on a destructive path. God wants you to change. He wants you to seek him again. You are hurting yourself. And then that message that God gives him says, hey, look, I'm going to take you away from this comfortable life that you are used to. and I'm going to move you to another land that you're going to be a stranger in. I'm going to take your, um, your young men and your young women, the people that you value, the, the shining stars of your, of your community. I'm going to take them and I'm going to move them elsewhere. And so he begins to speak over and over again that people would, um, would listen to him, and nobody ever listens to him. Well, one of, those, one of the things that he says in Jeremiah chapter 29 is he's giving a prophecy that, that God is going to remove the people from Israel, and he's going to take them to a foreign land. And the, the question that we're going to look at tonight is, is God enough? Is God enough? Now, when you are just starting out your life, when you're in your 20s, and even into your 30s, I'll be honest with you, you're going to be struggling with this question. Because there's going to be all kinds of things that are going to be filling your mind that you could use as, as a priority, right? Well, God is enough, but he needs me to work hard. God is enough, but I need to make sure I make enough money to, be, to support myself. God is enough, but I need to make sure I get the education. God is enough, but there's always some filler in there. And what we're going to look at tonight is that God is enough, period. And what we don't really reconcile in our minds most of the time is that we don't get out of our own way. A lot of times God isn't enough for us because we don't want what he wants. And so if that's the case, then what happens is if, God, if, if, we, if all we want is to stay the same and to never change, then if what God wants doesn't agree with what we want, we will always be disappointed. So we're going to look at what it, the message that, that Jeremiah had for these, these people. So the story of Israel, what happens is they, they begin to rebel against what God had told them to do. And so God, in his, in his wisdom and in his protection and in his mercy, he carves out a remnant. So from Genesis to today, there has always been a remnant of true believers. All the way back to Abraham, all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden. 
there is, you got to remember, this is in, in the context of God's story, you have the people of Israel, which is all of the descendants of Abraham. And inside that, so that's an ethnic group. And inside of that, there are people who truly believe that Yahweh is the one true God. So just because you're a Jew doesn't mean that you actually believe. Same thing is true today. We have the church, people that go to church, right? And they say, I believe that God is God and that, that he is all-powerful. But the truth is the way that they live their lives, they're really not believers. They're Christians because it's convenient. And in America, what happens is those people tend to hide in the social circles of church. And so instead of it being, you know, the evergreen chamber of commerce, they really, if they had to actually uh, pay something, if something, if it actually cost them to be believers, they wouldn't pay the price. So in America, we kind of fly under the radar. We're just now starting to see in our culture that the culture is pushing back against Christians because to proclaim absolute truth is offensive because the truth in a sinful world is provocative. So what does God have to say to this remnant? So basically what happens is God says, listen, I'm going to come in and I'm going to carve out this remnant. I'm going to take you away and I'm going to protect you inside the Babylonian empire. And then the Assyrian empire is going to come in and I'm going to protect you there. And in that protection, then I'm going to, then once that, once I'm done protecting you from, from the world around you, I'm going to take some of you and I'm going to put you back where you were. Okay. So this, this story this is important. Okay. We're about to get into Christmas season. So think about this, this exile where God picks up his remnant and he sets them in Babylon he brings along, this isn't connected to our story that tonight, but he brings along this guy and his buddies named Daniel. So Daniel and his three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they have a, they have a showdown with a giant chocolate bunny, <laughs> right? And so these guys, they bring with them Jewish culture. They're the ones that plant the seed in the Babylonian and the, the Assyrian empires that eventually wise men discover and they realize, wait a minute, a significant event is going to happen. We need to be watching the stars because of the exile. These Persian wise men were watching. And when the star appeared, they said, we got to go. And they went and they visited the birth of Jesus. Okay, so this is significant in the grand spectrum of time because what God does is he says, listen, I'm going to pull you out of exile. I'm going to pull you. I'm going to exile you. And I'm going to protect you here. And eventually down the road, I'm going to use that to send Jesus the resources that he needs to flee to Egypt. So this is an important piece of history. So what does the prophet Jeremiah say to this exiled remnant? So in Jeremiah chapter 29, we're going to start in verse four. Okay. We're going to take this one piece at a time. So let's just read verse four real quick. It says, this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says to the exiles I, I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. Okay, let me pause right there. It says, Lord of armies. Your, bo- your, your Bible may say Lord of hosts. What God's doing is he is declaring his authority. The Lord of hosts. The ho- who are the hosts? The hosts are the angels. The Lord of all creation. So what God is saying is he's saying Yahweh. The all-powerful God of the universe, 
I have something to say. And who is he saying it to? He's saying it to those who are going to be exiled. But what's interesting here is that not only is he the God of absolute power and authority, but look what he says here. He says, who is he the God of? He says, this is the Lord of, this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel. Think about this. The God who created the universe has bound himself to a people on purpose. The God of Israel. Don't miss the significance of that statement. He is saying, I, the Lord of hosts, the almighty, powerful master of the universe, have bound myself with a promise to a people. This is a love letter he's sending to his people. This isn't just a declaration of authority. This is, listen, I'm saying this on purpose because I care about you. I have made you a priority. Then he says this, says to all the exiles, I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. So not to get too technical here, but think about this. God is the one who designed the exile. You see, when, we, when we're approaching this question of if God is enough, what we don't really say out loud is we begin to question if God is actually God. Is God enough? What he's saying here is, I am the Lord of all the hosts. I have a relationship with a specific people. And I have made a decision to move my people to somewhere else. So when you are processing these issues of your life, when you're dealing with the uncertainties and the challenges of being in a foreign environment, it's easy to look at God and say, are you even God? Do you even see me? But the first thing that we've got to realize is that what the world sees as a punishment, God sees as a protection. God is doing this on purpose. He says, you are my people, and I am the one who, have moved, who has moved you. So when you're dealing with these questions about asking if God is, is God or if he is enough, think about this. There is nothing in your life that you will face that God did not do on purpose. He says, I deported them from Jerusalem to Babylon. Okay, check this out, verses 5 and 7. Okay, so not only does the world see what God's doing as a punishment, because if you look at what, what's happening here, you're going you're to think, well, this nation just got conquered, and so now they're being carried away in captivity as slaves. To the world's eye, that sounds like punishment. But in, but in God's perspective, it's protection. Look at verse five, and, 5 through 7. See, what the world sees as, as a defeat God sees as an opportunity. Verse 5, he continues, this is what God says. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Find wives for yourself and sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, do not decrease. Pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. See, God sees our lives as an opportunity for something. And it's not just a selfish motive. God sees our lives as an opportunity to display himself to us so that we can know him. So why do we face these challenges? Why do we face all this garbage in our life? Why, why is the world outside a giant dumpster fire right now? 
It's because God wants to know us. The natural state, we've looked at this before, the natural state of the human heart is desperately wicked and only one person knows it and that's God. This is an opportunity for us to be able to see him. He says in verse five, he says, build houses and live in them. He says, plant gardens and eat his produce. He's saying that they're called to put down roots. See, growth doesn't stop when we think God has set us to the side. You may be in a situation, maybe you're not going through the, maybe, maybe you're not going through the crud right now, but maybe you're thinking, man, I'm just waiting for my life to take off. I'm ready to get down to the, to the good stuff. I'm so tired of just waiting here. That's exactly the attitude that these people could have. We just got conquered by a neighboring nation. We've been pulled off into slavery. We're in, we're in chains. And yet God says, hey, I want you to settle down. Build houses. Settle in. Plant gardens. Gardens take time to grow fruit. Grow food. He's saying, look, this is happening on purpose. You can settle in. See, what happens is that when we start asking if God is enough, we're always thinking about the next thing. That's a challenge for us because we want to be secure. We want to have confidence in what God's doing. But the problem is that we are so, we are so selfish that we don't recognize that we are not content to be exactly where we are. And so what he's saying here is he's saying, look, don't, do not listen to what your perspective is. He says, put down roots, plant gardens, build houses, get married, have children, build a life. Diligence doesn't stop when we are going through a situation that we deem difficult. Diligence doesn't just happen whenever we're on top of the world and we're like, we're successful and we're making money and we're doing our thing. You think that God is gonna, gonna reach down and he's going to automatically bless you with a rich life? I mean, spiritually rich life if you have not been diligent when you're in exile? Do you think that God is going to look down and say, oh, you've been a, you've been a terrible steward right now since you've been waiting, so I'm gonna go ahead and give you everything that you wanted? If there's stuff between you and God, if there's accomplishments between you and God, guess what? He won't give them to you. Now, you can go out there and try to take it. But the problem is when you take it, there's no God there. And so what happens is you end up with all this crap in your hands and you realize, I don't have anything of real value. He's saying, invest yourself here. He says, find wives for yourself. They're called to multiply. See, a defeated attitude, it shrinks. But a godly attitude is one that says, I don't care where I am, I'm going to prosper. I don't care where I am, I'm going to chase Jesus. I don't care how bad things are, I'm going to step into God's will. And I'm going to enjoy myself, no matter how difficult it is. These are, these are young people. These are people about your age that have been taken out of their homes, out of their families, by themselves, in a totally foreign country where they don't even know the language. And yet God says, I want you to put down roots. Because your location has nothing to do with your ability to pursue a relationship with Christ. 
He says, multiply, don't shrink, live on purpose. What God's saying here is that there's no difference between Babylon and Jerusalem. But check this out in verse 7. Now, they could be thinking, you know what? We're going to be here. We're going to build houses. We're going to plant gardens. We're going to live on our, we're going to do our thing, right? We're just going to, we're going to make do until God decides to give us back what we, what we deserve, what we're owed. But look at verse 7. Pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. Now, we live in a generation that is becoming more and more hostile towards people of faith. Y'all, here's the thing. Is that we are very quickly coming to a generation where you are not going to be welcome in the place that you call home. You are not going to be welcome in City Hall in Tulsa, Oklahoma. You are not going to be welcome with your family. You are not going to be welcome in places where you think should be a safe place. And yet, what Jeremiah is saying here is that our external circumstances have nothing to do with our responsibility to pray for people to pray that God would show up in their lives and that they would succeed. You see, a godly perspective in the world is one that sees that everything that we're going through is an opportunity to see God. And so for us, if we're going to maturely look at the world, we have to understand that even the people that want to do us harm, we need to be praying for them to succeed. Why? He says right here, because when they succeed, you succeed. This is not about material wealth. This is about an attitude. About do you see the opportunities in your life to see what God is doing? Because God doesn't want your stuff. He wants you. He wants your, he wants your perspective to be singularly focused on him and what he has for you. There's a lot of people out there chasing what they want and they're throwing elbows to get what they want and they find themselves empty. See, it doesn't matter the environment they're in. God's gonna, God is going to help us succeed. And how do we define success? By one factor. If I am more like Jesus today than I was yesterday. If I'm going to be more like Jesus tomorrow than I, than I am today. That is success. Not the amount of my bank account, not the clothes that I wear, not the car that I drive, not the house that I live in. True success comes whenever we are wholly devoted to Jesus. But not only that is there an opportunity, but there's always going to be opposition. So here's a little caveat right here. So number three is, is that the, what the world sees as important, God sees as a rebellion. So here's what's going to happen, is that God's going to move you into places that make you uncomfortable. And they're going to ir- that's going to irritate people when you stand up for the truth. There will be people who will tell you that you are wrong, that you are dangerous. I actually have friends that I grew up with that believe that even though we grew up in the same culture, in the same church, that the way that I feel about the world is dangerous. Because I believe that God had intentions for how he made a man and a woman. That God had intentions about how he designed the family. That God had intentions for how we're supposed to live a fulfilled, successful life. My viewpoint in a lot of places is is dangerous. 
So what happens? Jeremiah writes this letter. Check this out in verses 8 and 9. For this is what the Lord of armies, again, God stating his authority, the God of Israel, again, intentional relationship with the people, says, Don't let your prophets who are among you and your diviners deceive you. Don't listen to the dreams you elicit from them, for they are prophesying falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them. This is the Lord's declaration. Let me explain this for a second. So there's this guy. His name is Shemaiah. Shemaiah is a false prophet. So Jeremiah writes this letter to the exiles coming, coming into Babylon. Well, Shemaiah wants, well, he wants the people of Israel to overthrow the Persians or the Babylonians, okay? And so what he wants to do is instead, he's a freedom fighter. So what he wants, he wants to kind of put together an army. We're going to kind of have a guerrilla war against the, the Babylonian empire, and we're just going to overthrow them. And we're going we're gonna to earn our independence, in other words, he's saying, whatever Je- Jeremiah is saying to you, totally not true. We need to just fight for this. We need, we need elbow grease. We need to throw elbows. We need to do whatever we got to do to make it happen. And God gives him an answer. Look on the next page. God hears what this guy is saying about his own words. And here's the thing about being on God's side. If God is enough, God takes people who undercut him personally. He takes offenses towards his children personally. So in verse 24, the Lord has a message for this guy, Shemaiah. So check this out. The prophet writes, To Shemaiah, the the Nehelamite, you are to say, This is what the Lord of armies, again, God declaring his authority, the God of Israel, the God of a specific people says, you in your own name have sent out letters to all the people of Jerusalem, to the priest Zephaniah, son of Messiah, and to all the priests saying, the Lord has appointed you priest in, in place of the priest Jehoiada to, to be the chief officer in the temple of the Lord, responsible for every madman who acts like a prophet. You must confine him to the stocks and the iron collar. So now... Why have you not rebuked Jeremiah of Anathoth, who has been acting like a prophet among you? For he has sent word to us in Babylon, claiming the exile will be long. Build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat, with, eat their produce. The priest Zephaniah read this letter to the hear, in the hearing of the prophet Jeremiah. This dude writes a letter back to his hometown of Jerusalem and says, Jeremiah is dangerous. You need to lock him up. He's crazy. He thinks that this this exile is going to be long and that we should build houses and we should plant gardens and we should eat produce and we should marry. What he's doing is he is undermining Jeremiah's credibility. And what the world sees as something that is important, we need to manipulate the politics. We need to make sure that we earn our, our seat at the table. God takes this personally. Look at how God responds in verse 30. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Send a message to all the exiles saying, this is what the Lord says concerning Shemaiah, the the Nehelamatite. Because Shemaiah prophesied to you, though I did not send him and made you trust a lie. This is what the Lord says. I am about to punish Shemaiah, the Nehelamite, and his descendants 
There will not be even one of his descendants living among these people, nor will any ever see the good that I will bring to my people. This is the Lord's declaration, for he has preached rebellion against the Lord. Here's the thing. Why is this important? It's because there's going to be people in your life who try to undercut what God is doing. They're going to come up beside you and they're going to say, look, here's the deal. You need to just work harder. You just need to, work, you just need to do more. God is not enough. You've got to take it. Anything that's worth anything, you've got to earn yourself. You've got to go out there and make your own way. We hear this all the time in our culture. This is really bad for men. Because where does, where does Satan get us? He gets us in our work. You need to work harder. Oh, of course, God can use you, but you're, you just need to, you need to work more. This goes back to the curse in Genesis chapter 3. Here, here's a challenge for us. We've got to understand when we're asking the question, is God enough? We've got to understand that if God has given us a calling, if he's put us in a place that is hostile to us, if he's put us in an uncomfortable position, he takes that very personally. So when you're asking the question, is God enough? You've got to understand who is actually orchestrating your life. Because he looks at you as the God of angel armies who has made a covenant with a specific people. And when you are objected to, and when his will in your life is questioned, he takes that personally. So he tells this guy, not only am I going to wipe out your family, but no one in your family will ever experience my redemption of the people of Israel. Here's a challenge that makes this whole thing difficult is that Shemaiah misses out on the, tree, on the real treasure of the exile because he misses out on a relationship with God. I want to tell you and I want to encourage you that the exiles in your life, when God takes you and puts you in a difficult position, he does that so that he can know you the situation is irrelevant. He wants you. And what happens to Shemaiah is he sees all of this stuff going on. He thinks he's got to make it work. And he starts to, to force himself against God's will. And God pays attention to that. Well, not only does God see this as rebellion, but what the world sees as wishful thinking, God sees as certainty. So, if we look at this situation, right, you've got a bunch of young people who've been pulled out of their hometown. Now they're in chains. They're slaves. They're, been, they're being re-educated in a new culture. If somebody comes in and says, oh, you know what? It's going to be fine. It's going to be great. You know, in the end, it'll all be great. There's those people in our lives, right, where it doesn't, you could be literally going through hell, and they're like, oh, it's going to be great. You just wait. This is going to be awesome. It's like, what? Are you serious right now? I'm dealing with a lot of business. And this is where this passage comes in. You're going to recognize this because this is probably written on a wall somewhere in your parents' house, if they're believers. Verse 10. For this is what the Lord says. Whenever 70 years, of Bab 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will contend to you and will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. 
for I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being, not for disaster. To give you a a future and a hope. You will call to me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will restore you to the place from which I deported you. Think about this. In verse 10, God promises to restore his people. In verse 7, he says, I know the plan. Uh, Verse 11, he says, I know the plans that I have for you. Here's a hard part for us is that we want clarity right now. You say that you have, you know, the plans for me. You have, you have plans to prosper me and to do all these great things for me. So a little info would be awesome right now. But think about this. If God is enough, do I need perspective? If God is enough, do I need all the information If God is enough, do I need to have a complete picture of everything that he's doing? Or is me being with him enough? Do I trust that he is actually the God of the hosts of heaven? That he is a God with an individual relationship, a covenant relationship with the people? That he has done that on purpose? Do I believe that that is enough? Or do I want more? Do I want all the answers to go with his sovereignty? See, the people that he's talking to here, remember, context is important. The people that he's talking to here are not going to see this fulfilled for 70 years. They will never see this promise come to fruition. Think about that. God is making a promise to a people and saying, in 70 years, I will bring you back to where I took you from. 100% of those people will never experience That promises fulfillment. So God has promised you something, your family something. Have you settled in your mind that God is enough? Because you may not see it. Do you believe that you're you're going to be different than your parents or your grandparents? Because they lived crappy lives and they didn't trust Jesus? Well, you know what? To see your family walk in righteousness may be something that you don't actually see. Have you, have you come to terms with that? Is God enough, or do you have to be able to see him fulfill the promises to trust him? Or do you just trust him? See, he commanded them to live their lives and to trust him with long-term results. He didn't say, oh, hey, by the way, in a couple of years, I'm going to come and I'm going to bail you out and everything's going to be great. He said, you just trust me. You build houses, you plant, you plant gardens, you eat from the produce, you get married, you settle down, you have babies and grandbabies. You know what? You just settle in. Because all you need to worry about is today. Some of you guys tease me all the time because I talk about our one job. Jesus said in, in, in Matthew, he says, today has enough to worry. Why are we worrying about tomorrow? Today. Today. That means that when I'm in exile, I'm going to get up and I'm going to say, Lord, 
Awesome. It's Wednesday morning. What do you want to do today? We've got to be okay with just having him for today. See, the reward for this life is a constant community with God. In spite of our circumstances, look at verse 12. He says, you will call to me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. Think about that. The God of angel armies who has made a covenant relationship with a specific people says, if you pray to me, I will listen. I will listen. Test me on this. You pray and you ask God for something, not for a item. You pray and ask him for him and he will answer your prayer. Philippians 4 says to not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He says, you call to me and I will listen. Look at what else he says in verse 13. He says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with your whole heart. Now it could be today the reason why you don't think that God is enough is because you actually haven't been seeking him with your whole heart. God's kind of over here in this little box. You're like, okay, well, I would open my God box on Sundays and on Tuesday nights or on Wednesday nights, and that's all I'm going to do. And then we get frustrated asking like, God, why don't you speak to me? It's like saying, God, will you show yourself to me? Will you give me wisdom? Will you, will you teach me something? And then we put, we put blindfolds on and earplugs in, and we say, mm, I, just God, I guess God just isn't awake today. Maybe he is enough. Maybe you need to get out of your own way. He says, if you will seek me with your whole heart, you will find me. Jesus said the same thing. He says, I stand at the door and I knock. I want you to be in fellowship with me. I want you to have a relationship with me. I want you to be whole with me. But God's an add-on for you. And so, of course, you're not going to answer the question, is God enough? Because you don't care enough to give it everything. The question, if God is enough, is profound. But hold on a second. We've got to step back. Because he says in verse 14, I will be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will restore you to the place from which I deported you. Is God enough? He says, yes. See, the satisfaction that we find in God is only going to be found when we do it completely. Now, I've got to say something here about this passage of Scripture because this is quoted out of context and this is held on to falsely by a lot of people in our community. There is a very real danger of taking yourself, taking myself, and implanting myself in the events of the Bible. This is a promise that's made to a people who are going into exile. It was not made to Philip Jackson in 21st century America. The Bible doesn't mean what it says. It means what it means. So what can we draw from this about God being enough? Scripture reveals the character of God. So think about this. Think about what we've talked about tonight. These are the things that we've talked about for God. That he is all-powerful. His first priority for us is to be in right relationship with him. 
He is jealous for us and will fight anyone who gets in the way of our relationship. That includes your family, by the way. He wants to provide for us and and thrive when we go through hard things. He wants us to rely on him for everything. He is not ignorant of our struggles. He gave them to us as a gift so that we can know him more. The exiles happen on purpose. So is God enough? Yes, he absolutely is enough. Now on the surface, you might think that's an easy question to answer. Of course God's enough. That's kind of what you have to say, right? See, the challenge for us is that for the exiles that we go through, there's two ways we can look at it. Okay, to the godly person, an exile is an opportunity for us to be able to focus completely on God and on our relationship with him. Right? What God does is he, he loves us so much that he strips away all the crap that distracts us from him. And he gives us the singular opportunity to know him more deeply. He's invited us into a deep fellowship with him. But for the ungodly, guess what? It's the exact same invitation. He pulls away all of the crap in your life that is distracting you from an intimate relationship with him so that you can hear his voice. He presents himself to you in a way that will make you right. But the difference between the godly person and the ungodly person is the ungodly person has this opportunity and they don't take it. Instead of what they do is they flip the bird to to, to God the Father and they say, you know what, I'll do this myself. I don't need you. I'm tough. I can make it. Because you're not enough. I'm too strong to give up control of my life. But I got to tell you something. After 35 years of life, I know I'm not that old. But I know one thing. The decisions that I make on my own have a way of grinding the humility into me. Because life sucks when you're making the calls. I have to tell you, I have to plead with you. I know that there are all kinds of things going on in your lives. That there are big decisions ahead. There are, there are decisions to make about school, about work, about career, about relationships. Hard things that are going through. You've been, some of you have been playing with things that are dangerous. I want to tell you, looking past the scars in my own life, The question that you have every night when you go to bed, when you close your eyes, when you're thinking about the thing that you've been struggling with over and over again, and you say, man, I really wish that God was enough for me. I have to tell you that he is. But you know what's missing? Is you haven't given up. You haven't given him your whole heart. You've been holding on to pieces because his word says that he will hear you if you seek him with your whole heart. That means everything is on the table. Everything. That relationship that you think that you need, that job that you think that you need, 
that degree that you think that you need, that training, that, that, that bonus that you think that you need, the bank account number that you think you need, all this, all this stuff that you think that you need, all of that stuff is a distraction. It's a counterfeit. These are things that Satan has used to tie you to not changing. Is God enough? The answer is absolutely yes. But the hard part is giving up. What's up, everybody? This is Philip Jackson, pastor of young adults at Evergreen Church. I want to invite you to come to Reach. We meet every Tuesday evening at 6.30 at Evergreen Church, just east of Mingo on 111th Street. For more information, check out our website, reachtulsa.org. You can connect with us on social media and on Instagram by searching for reach.tulsa. Also, be sure to subscribe to our content for the latest sermons and updates. You can also find us on Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Yeah, watch over us. Bring your glory down